0: The practice of meditation or bhavana means cultivating the mind. And as we cultivate this mind we become more clearly aware that the mind is one thing and our body is another. They're two separate phenomena. The Buddha's words are Rupa Dhamma, Nama Dhamma. Rupa means form or material form. Nama means mentality. It means the mind and the contents of the mind. When we're practicing bhavana, developing mindfulness or sati, the result of that is clarity separating what is body, what is mind, what is nama, what is rupa. This becomes clearer. As normally as human beings We don't recognize that mind and body are separate. They tend to be all mixed up together. And we talk about a human being, or a person, or me, I, myself. And we're not very clear what we're referring to. We see it all as one big mass of, body, mind, feelings, thoughts, memories, everything all in there together, one big tangled mess. And we don't have much clarity over what is what. And the Buddha and our teachers describe the mind The word, one of the words the Buddha uses, jitta. The mind or the jitta is that quality of knowing. It knows things. But in a very neutral way, the mind itself just knows things. And it doesn't yet Differentiate what is right or wrong, good or bad. Just knows in a very neutral way. It's that quality of knowing. The mind knows things through seeing and hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. And through itself six doorways or pathways through which the mind knows, experience. But it just knows. In this practice of bhavana, we're cultivating the mind. We're bringing up qualities that will help the mind to know correctly the Truth. Where do these qualities come from? Well, they come up from within the mind itself but we have to cultivate them. We have to train, practice which is what the Buddhist path and teachings is pointing to and explaining how to train, how to practice. So these inner qualities that we cultivate, we bring up, we cultivate, are helping the mind to know itself and know truth correctly. So in that sense, we can say these qualities are higher qualities of the mind the higher qualities that help us to understand truth and be at peace and happy. So foremost in these higher qualities that we're developing or wholesome qualities that we're developing is sati, mindfulness. And then panya, wisdom. These are qualities that we cultivate through our meditation practice and indeed through daily life, through consciously bringing up mindfulness, and consciously developing wisdom through wise reflection, contemplation. The mind itself in its natural state is not necessarily wise. It doesn't yet know how to contemplate anything. So we could compare the mind a bit like the mind of a, a baby. It doesn't yet know anything, it has to learn. And sati and panya, mindfulness and wisdom are the qualities that bring up that baby correctly, watch over it, guard over it, lead it in the right direction for its own well-being and happiness. So the heart of our Buddhist meditation is cultivating mindfulness and wisdom cultivating mindfulness, we're using a meditation object. As we've been discussing, there are many different meditation objects we can use and not everyone will use the same object. Different objects suit different people. But in the beginning, we recommend to use the breathing meditation is a very universal, accessible meditation object that we can turn to easily. So cultivating mindfulness of breathing, sati, we're directing our mind to know the breath, the feeling of the breath going in and out. We pick one point, perhaps at the tip of the nostrils. And we direct our attention to that point. Knowing the in-breath and the out-breath with mindfulness, with presence of mind, or recollecting the breath. The important point in the meditation is to keep directing mindfulness to the feeling of the breath. Not to let mindfulness slip or wander or stray elsewhere. Not to let the power of our thinking mind different moods, emotions, and different sense impressions distract us from our task, from the development of mindfulness. As we practice and improve the quality of our mindfulness using the breath or any other meditation object we start to experience steadiness of mind calmness of mind because of the continuous presence of mindfulness and this calm steady experience is accompanied by a sense of contentment, pleasure. We actually feel good. And this is an important point in the development of meditation, bhavana. We actually have to begin to experience some pleasure in what we're doing for it to be effective. For wisdom to be able to develop, we have to have a certain calmness, steadiness of mind. So that we can train the mind in contemplation. Contemplation of our own experience of this body and mind. To see it as it is. Just as we have to train in the practice and development of mindfulness, we have to train and practice in the development of wisdom. We have to learn to direct the mind, to look and watch and observe and investigate the truth. And sometimes even in the development of mindfulness we use wisdom to support that. So as we're practicing meditation there will be certain moods and thought patterns and distractions which come up and are very difficult to let go of, difficult to establish mindfulness in the midst of those particular moods and distractions sometimes all we can do is turn to wisdom to help to investigate and look a bit more deeply to see what is the problem and if there's any adjustment we can make in our meditation in our attitude or in the way we're looking at things to help remedy that problem. In particular the Buddha talked about the five hindrances, niwārana, or obstacles, to the development of wholesome states of mind, so the development of mindfulness and wisdom, and development of the path. And these five hindrances will come up over and over again. As one comes up, another is waiting in the wings. When the first one passes away, the second one will come through. As we've heard before, probably many times, these five hindrances are sensual desire, and desire for different kinds of sense impressions. Ill will, aversion, anger, irritation, and so on. Dullness, what we call sloth and torpor, so dullness, drowsiness, lethargy, apathy. then restlessness and agitation of mind stirred by different memories and worries and finally doubt uncertainty these are five groups of obstacles that will come up but the details will vary according to the person and the the karma of each person, what's happening in our mind. But sometimes we have to use wisdom to contemplate, to help get through a hindrance and to see it to the point of cessation, where it ends, where it passes. And there's different reflections we can use for each hindrance different approaches there's no one fixed approach here wisdom is such that it's the creative part of the mind we use our intelligence sometimes just thinking wisely thinking correctly to help deal with a problem if we have sensual desire arise Perhaps, for example, you're meditating and keep thinking of one thing you particularly like, you remember. Could be something like food. You keep thinking of, about food. You can't establish mindfulness on the breathing and the mind just keeps imagining, craving, thinking about food, for example. Sometimes the mind can get really obsessed with food. Images come up. And perhaps it's based on expectation of food to be consumed. So we think about an upcoming meal. Think about the types of food the taste, the colour, the look, all the details that we may have in our mind. So how can we use wisdom to overcome that? Maybe contemplate the impermanence of food even though it's tasty and attractive in itself. The actual tasting process only takes a few seconds and you get a little bit of pleasure as the food goes onto your tongue. Then as soon as it mixes with saliva and you chew it and swallow it, that pleasure is gone. And over the course of a meal, maybe only 15 minutes, 20 minutes then the complete experience is finished it's impermanent doesn't last very long very temporary So sometimes just reminding ourselves of that temporary nature of the pleasure of food is enough for the mind to settle down let it go Other times, maybe, we can be even more creative. Keep thinking about a food that you're planning to eat, you want to get, because you like that taste, you like that food. Well, in your mind, if you're thinking in that way, well, then carry on thinking and think, well, what if I took that food and gave it to somebody else? If I like that food, maybe somebody else likes that food. And in your mind, you just mentally give it away to somebody else. And maybe enjoy the pleasure of seeing that person enjoying the food. So you practice some mental dhana. Just give it away. Rather than think about the pleasure you might have from the food yourself. other kinds of sensual desire can be much more subtle. So as we meditate, even the desire for pleasure in meditation can be an obstacle. If we're starting off our meditation and not yet very peaceful or tranquil, we have some agitation or pain, Maybe just the desire for what peace and pleasure we may experience later on, the hope for that, the wanting that, can also be an obstacle. And instead of applying ourselves to mindfulness of the object, we just think about what we're going to gain from the practice, the result. Or sometimes it's other experiences we're thinking of. We think, I'd like to see something special. Some people want to see what we call nimiters, visions of bright lights. Some people want to see other beings or other realms of existence, want to see hell realms or heaven realms they want to see what they were in a past life all these subtle kinds of craving might arise as we're meditating because the mind is seeking something maybe a little bit more interesting it's what we like to think about and imagine but these kinds of imagination are already going in the wrong direction taking us away from mindfulness in the present moment, even though you might say they're associated with meditation, perhaps we've heard somebody else had a vision of a bright light or they saw some heavenly being or something. So we get interested in that. And instead of being mindful of the in and out breath, we just spend our time imagining what we might see or know in our meditation. And far from becoming steady and firm in our mindfulness, we end up daydreaming and wondering and the mind gets caught away. Ajahn Chah always reminded us to Let go of the desire to see things, get things, have things. Whether it's just different sense experience, sense pleasure or some of the subtle experiences of meditation, let go of it all. Let go of the desire even for success in meditation. Let it go and just return to mindfulness of the object. Such a simple instruction, but often we overlook it or we find, we feel that we know that instruction already and we're ready to move on to something else. But actually what we need is to go back to the basic instruction, to be mindful. The second hindrance of ill-will is also a very common experience. Sometimes it's conditioned by the first. We're missing some of our pleasures, so we get irritated. We're not feeling as happy as we normally would like to feel, so we feel irritated or negative in some way. Or we're trying to attain some peace, some peaceful state. Maybe there's a, a noise or a disturbance externally. So instead of seeing the lack of mindfulness as the reason for the mind not yet being peaceful, we blame the external disturbance. Maybe somebody else's. Noise or talking or the weather or the sound of animals or cars sometimes it's more distant just memories of problems and issues in our life in our personal life or in our work comes up and the mind falls into a habit of negative thinking reacting to that. So we have to use the parents or the guardians of the mind in mindfulness and wise reflection to help deal with that. Again, just like a little kid who doesn't yet understand things and tends to complain when it doesn't get the rest it wants, or the food it wants, or the toys to play with that it wants. Kids will complain and cry and moan and groan. Even as adults, we have the same tendency, even if it's perhaps more subtle. So sometimes we have to soothe the mind, give ourselves some words of encouragement, from our own goodwill well-wishing for ourself remind ourselves to be more patient take our time relax a bit let go but sometimes our negativity is very stubborn it keeps coming up over and over again maybe just about one issue over and over again. So just like the kid, maybe once in a while you have to be very firm. You tell yourself off. You tell yourself, "Mm, who are you complaining all the time about this problem, this issue, getting very angry and upset? Just like you tell a kid off, you say. Time to let go, time to be quiet time not to complain. You just be very direct and firm with yourself. Especially if it's to do with other people. If you catch yourself in your meditation, thinking about other people, and being critical or complaining, remind yourself, This critical, complaining mind is a sign that you're not being very mindful. You're not focusing on your object. So instead of criticizing or complaining about others, look at yourself. Why are you being so careless, letting your mind wander off, not being with the breath? And turn that energy back from Directing to other people, back to yourself. How can you try harder in your practice? How can you focus more on your own mind? And let go of these other concerns. They're not really your business at this time. In the end, these sense impressions that may have stirred us say the words of other people events of our life unpleasant experiences that lead to a negative or angry reaction these experiences are just what they are and most of them are out of our control we can't control other people very much we can't control the world very much to just bring us pleasant experiences in the way we want it's the nature of our life, it's, it's imperfect in that sense. Just as we chant in the morning. Our life is mixed up with dukkha. We have some pleasure and happiness but there's also unpleasant things that come our way that we cannot control or prevent. And not getting our wishes fulfilled separation from all that I love and like, being together with the things I don't like, not getting our wishes fulfilled. And this is part of life, the dukkha of life, to be known and understood rather than to just be reacted to with negativity and aversion. would have said that working with anger and irritation, it's a great challenge. But if we can overcome our own ill will and negativity, then that's the greatest victory. It's a much greater victory than say overcoming another person. just getting the better of them or getting back at them or trying to overcome the world if there's some aspect of your life that is difficult or unpleasant. Rather than just trying to change the world or fight the world, we can turn our energy back to conquer our own anger or overcome our own anger. Pacify it through the power of metta, goodwill and patience and wisdom. You'll find if you ever succeed in this, even if just temporarily, a great release of mind. It's like some business has been settled. The mind goes quiet We have to learn how to appreciate those moments of quiet where the mind is not angry or irritated or upset. It's free from those emotions. We should make that very clear when we notice it and appreciate the time in the mind when it is free from irritation and ill will. And we'll remember that more. You'll become more clear in our mind. And that will be a cause for similar experiences free from anger to arise in the future. And knowing the mind of non-anger, appreciating it, being mindful of it. With sloth and torpor and dullness, laziness, then we have to find skillful ways to arouse energy and effort in the practice. We keep returning to our posture, if we're sitting meditation and feeling very dull, sleepy, lethargic, and put effort into the physical posture, sit up straight, Hold your head up erect. Find skillful ways to stimulate the mind, to wake it up if you're caught into drowsiness. So we can recite teachings or chants or verses of Dhamma that we've learned, heard before. Even some more mundane knowledge we may have. If you're falling asleep, just recite the two times table or something anything that gives your mind some work to do and you might find the stimulation of just thinking through something or reciting something wakes you up. Others prefer to focus on a bright light they look at a candle or a lamp or they imagine a bright light in their mind or we can actually open our eyes if we're feeling very drowsy, open the eyes and carry on sitting with eyes open still following the breath but with eyes open other more creative solutions to drowsiness and dullness can use different objects to heighten your awareness of the body and what you're doing. So some people, they hold something in their hands and they'll notice when the mind becomes dull or drowsy, then you let go of the object you're holding. It could be some, something like a matchbox or something. Some people even put it on their head and they keep the matchbox on their head and as they start to become drowsy the matchbox slips off as their head slips the matchbox slips off so they're woken up or if the drowsiness is very stubborn the dullness is stubborn then get one of those paper cups and fill it half full of water put that on your head And after getting wet a few times, you'll really wake up. The Buddha said, if all fails, then go and walk Jonkrom. walk meditation, changing posture, getting fresh air, and the movement of the body can wake you up if you're really struggling. whatever works to arouse mindfulness your aim is always to bring the mind back to the present moment with mindfulness so even focusing on the breath if you're truly mindful you can let go of dullness each breath you take very very as very very important maybe imagine it's very close to the end of your life each breath matters you maybe don't have many more breaths. Suddenly the breath becomes very important then. You don't want to let go of it. You don't want to become dull. You notice if we can find a way to stimulate the mind skillfully, then it is, it's always possible to break through dullness, drowsiness unless we're completely exhausted well then probably should go and have a rest but normally if it's just a little bit of drowsiness there'll be some way you can get through it sometimes it cycles so if you're meditating at night for a few hours you might fall into a a cycle of drowsiness you manage to arouse yourself from that wake yourself up And you can go for another period of time, maybe half an hour, fresh again. And then a second cycle of drowsiness comes on. And you might have to repeatedly go back using the same techniques to overcome the drowsiness. But this is how we learn. We learn using mindfulness and effort, energy and the creativity of our mind to overcome the problem. The fourth hindrance, restlessness and agitation. Again, there's many techniques one can apply. And then Cha used to say if your mind is just endlessly thinking, very restless, agitated, thinking over and over and over again and you can't cut through it with mindfulness. You can't stop it, you can't quieten it down. Do something drastic, you contemplate death. If this was your last day of your life, this issue that you're thinking about, would it be that important that you have to think about it? If you're on your deathbed, maybe you could just drop it right there. Often the the kind of things that occupy our mind are quite mundane, frivolous issues that don't really matter. So just challenge it by with reflecting on death. Or if that doesn't work, actually hold your breath, stop breathing. If your mind was just endlessly thinking about something and then you stop breathing, hold your breath, very quickly your mind starts to listen. So after a few moments, you'll start thinking, if I don't start breathing again, I will die. And that issue suddenly disappears from your consciousness. You're right back in your own body, wondering when you're going to take your next breath. It cuts through the the issue straight away maybe long enough for you to get some perspective on it and then you start breathing again and you can see it was just a mood in itself just some restless energy thinking about something usually the mind is either planning endlessly planning about the future things that haven't happened yet things we don't really know about but endlessly planning and scheming projecting itself to the future or else concerned about the past, often some agitation over things we've done, things we've said and done. Maybe we didn't do it as well as we could have. Some business we didn't do properly or didn't finish. So the mind is endlessly shooting away from the present moment, the in-breath and the out-breath, going back to the past, out into the future. Both of these things are, in, in reality, they're just thought formations, endless thought formations. The mind gets swept along by a, a wave of some mood or other. So we have to try and anchor it with the breath, bring it back to the present moment. If you really can't let go of the restless energy that you're thinking about, some issue, well, watch yourself. Just keep watching. How long will this last? Two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes? If you keep determining your mind to re-establish mindfulness as soon as that restless thought pattern finishes. Just keep watching. Sooner or later it must change. You don't think about the same issue over and over again all day long. Sooner or later, your mind will use up all the karmic energy on that issue and it will come to pass, it will cease. And your mind will be free, ready to move on to something else. And at that point, you establish mindfulness and you reflect, uh, this mood was impermanent, it stopped, it ceased. If you keep doing that regularly in your practice, you will become more and more familiar with the cessation of thoughts and moods. However important they seem at the time, more important you'll be noticing the cessation of that thought, that mood until it becomes a habit of mind. You just notice the impermanence of every thought that arises, it must pass away. That's why we call this uh, the Sankara Kanda, the Kanda of mental formations or thought formations. This is the Kanda where we make karma, where intention arises and directs the mind can be wholesome unwholesome can be skillful unskillful and that's what directs us to go on to speak to act in life there's mental candor endlessly creating but in meditation you're using the quality of mindfulness to gradually put a break put a stop to the endless creating and fashioning of the mind and bringing back to the present moment just the in-breath, the out-breath this is where we get some real rest where the mind settles down and stops planning and scheming and worrying any time it comes to rest on the breath then we feel really refreshed energized, bright as the mind is quiet and in one place. If it's all over the place, very tiring, stressful. So when one lets go of this restless, worried kind of thinking, it gains a lot of happiness. That's your motivation to keep working to establish mindfulness. Remind yourself this will bring you happiness when you let go of these thoughts. Our old habits of mind will tell us, no, these thoughts are important, I have to think about it. It's my work, it's my family, it's my plan. That's actually delusion, and it's not the source of real happiness. Gradually it drains away your mental energy. If you have a really agitated mind, well, at the end of that you start to feel quite drained, tired, fatigued practice of mindfulness brings up energy, it refreshes your mind, refreshes your mind it brightens the mind it's the opposite effect the final hindrance is doubt, uncertainty Now, Jian Chao always said just recognize doubt for what it is doubt in its nature, you won't be able to resolve doubt by just thinking about the thing you're doubting. The way you can resolve doubt is no doubt as doubt. Recognize it. Put it in its place. And you tend to undermine its energy in that way. It tends to fade away when you, when you recognize a doubt and you just know, oh, that's just a doubt. Maybe you're doubting about something you can't know anyway. So you teach yourself, well I can't know that. You say, what, what will my meditation be like today? We don't know, hasn't happened yet. What's it like, the enlightened mind? We don't know, hasn't happened yet. Sometimes you just have to accept a doubt as a doubt. You realize, oh, I don't know that, so I, there's no point thinking a lot about it. But also look at the harmful effects of doubt. If you give in to doubt and get caught up in it, it will take you around in circles and it will take you away from your meditation object. Because if you're doubting, you're not going to be putting your mindful attention on the breath. You'll be doubting it. And should I do this? Should I do the breath meditation today? Or maybe I should do the loving-kindness meditation? or maybe I should do some walking meditation, or maybe I should just go and have a, have a shower, or maybe I should do this, do that. You know, no more mindfulness, is just endless thinking and doubting. Sometimes we have to use our faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, just to give up, bring up a little bit of firmness and confidence in the practice. And they say, when you begin your meditation, always recollect Buddha, Dhammo, Sankho. You think of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, think of the teachers, Ajahn Chah. They have practiced before us and uh, they've told us if we are willing to practice mindfulness, apply it to the breath and use our wisdom to understand this mind and train it better, we can free ourselves from suffering. We can experience great peace, great benefit for ourselves, for others. So sometimes doubt is overcome by recollecting the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, or recollecting the teachings. You remind yourself what you have to do. Put attention on the breath be patient and so on. You give yourself some instructions to help settle the mind down so it's not caught into that doubt. And they say if you can be mindful of a few breaths in, a few breaths out in a row, your doubt will disappear immediately because you'll know your mind is becoming peaceful if you're able to just mindfully breathe in, breathe out ten times without getting caught into a thought or a distraction you won't doubt about why you meditate you'll know this is good the mind is more peaceful I'm more in control I'm happier then you won't have any more doubt about your meditation, in that meditation session, you'll know for sure it's something that you want to do and it's good. In the end, our doubts will disappear through developing experience in the practice. We'll gain more confidence, more self-respect, more understanding. So we'll be happier. And it's a happiness that it just comes through your own experience. It's not something you just have to listen to other people's words or read about, or think about. something you experience for yourself, know for yourself, and that's why doubt fades away. And doubt is when you don't know, you don't understand. But the happiness of a peaceful mind, once you've tasted that, you're no longer in doubt. Ajahn Chah always gave the simile the practice is about doing the practice experiencing the results for yourself like eating a fruit an apple if you've never eaten eaten an apple before or tasted it however well somebody describes the taste to you if you haven't tasted for yourself you'll never really know you'll always be doubting always be wondering what does it really taste like it's sour it's sweet what's it really like you just taste one bite of an apple and that's the end of the story isn't it you know what it tastes like the mind doesn't think about it anymore it just knows so practicing overcoming the hindrances in this way we use both mindfulness and wisdom together training the mind skillfully educating the mind, teaching the mind about itself teaching it to stay away from danger, from the pitfalls that disturb it, agitate it teaching it to develop the qualities that bring up more mindfulness more peace and more wisdom so for the rest of this meditation session we can uh, sit quietly until we're here Hear the bell.